Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Hope everybody's having a great day today. Always a pleasure to be here with our Catholic audience to speak about our faith and our spiritual health. Today's show, what we're going to talk about is, are you ready to commit to God? It's an important question. You know, it's a, it seems like a simple question, maybe. But the reality is, what does that have to do with our health? You know, I'm doing fine. I'm going through life. I see people around me who, you know, they don't follow a religion. Now it's very, very popular to not follow a religion. But am I ready to commit to God? Does that affect my life? How is that going to change my life? Well, let's talk about that, especially in this month of October, as we focus on Our Lady of Sorrows and see how is that going to change anything? Does that do anything? Does that mean anything? Well, let's get started here at the top of the noon hour with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, interesting questions. You know, I brought up this topic of, are we ready to commit to God or not? Really, in light of the fact that one of the most common questions I get is, Dr. Sandoval, am I being afflicted by physical health, by mental illness, or am I being affected by and afflicted by uh, the demonic? Those are the big questions that we get, you know, especially in working in deliverance ministry, working with people who feel that their life is being affected um, by spiritual entities dark spiritual entities a lot of people feel that demons are bothering them they feel that they're getting uh, uh harassed they're getting oppressed uh you know they're they're having obsessions and things along those lines and of course it's natural to ask ourselves gosh this looks a lot like mental illness which is true one of the biggest challenges is to answer that question is am i being afflicted by by evil entities or am i uh, experiencing mental illness one of the biggest challenges is that mental illness can look like spiritual affliction. It can look like um, oppression. It can look like obsessions. It can look like you in possession. 
Um, and the DSM now we recognize that you know they they finally the psychiatric world recognizes that there can be uh, possession involved or that there that that can be a even if you don't believe in demons that can be a psychiatric manifestation if you will. Um, but the converse is true if you are being afflicted by something spiritually dark, you're going to start to feel depressed. You're going to start to feel anxious. So it's very hard to answer that question without getting to know your history a lot more, understanding uh, a lot more what the person's been through. Have you actually been dabbling in the occult? Have you been um, deciding that you're going to be following your own will and not God's will? These are the important things to consider uh, when answering that question. But there's something else that needs to be considered that a lot of people don't consider. You know, people feel afflicted. They feel down. They feel depressed. They feel like um, the world is over like everything's dark, like there's a lot of depression. And it can come from, I don't like where I work. I don't like the way my boss is treating me. I don't like how, um, you know, my coworkers are acting. Uh, I don't like what's going on in my household. There's so many different things that can afflict us. And we say, it shouldn't be like this. You know, my kids are always arguing or there's just a general lack of peace. And so automatically when we think, oh, there's a lack of peace, oh, there must be something evil affecting me because I feel really negative. I think what people don't consider is, especially if we're baptized Catholics, if we are, uh, if we've been baptized into the faith, if we've studied our faith, especially if somebody has taught us, uh, say, gone to Catholic school or your parents have taught you your faith, but as we grow up, we kind of put it off to the side. We don't think about it as much. We don't put it at the forefront of our lives. I think that alone, without necessarily being afflicted, by dark entities, by evil spirits, just not following the faith, not doing what we know we're supposed to be doing, that can cause a level of depression because we're starving our souls from the food that that, they, that it desires. We're starving ourselves spiritually. It's like if all of a sudden you decided to just fast and not eat for no reason and you just weren't eating any nutrients, you weren't eating the right foods, all you filled yourself up with was, you know, sweets and cakes and ice cream and nothing healthy. Uh, and that was all your diet consisted of because, you know, gosh, it's it's a little too hard to eat the veggies or I've, I've been meaning to have a balanced diet, but I just haven't gotten around to it. I know it's the right thing. I've heard about it. It's kind of the same thing in the spiritual world. We have to ask ourselves, am I doing the things I know that I should be doing? It's not just so much that I'm doing things that are bad or evil or going against the commandments, but maybe I'm not sinning at all. Maybe we're kind of like the the uh, the rich man who comes to Christ in the Gospels and says, Christ, I'm already following the Ten Commandments, but what else can I be doing to make sure that I get to heaven? I think he was looking for that pat on the back, that sense of pride, that sense of, oh, I've already been doing everything right. And all of a sudden we're looking for that attaboy. But Christ gives him another challenge, and he says, well, if you really want to make it to the kingdom of heaven, sell everything you have. Come follow me. And he goes away sad. He's like, I don't know that I can do that. I think that happens to us a lot in our everyday lives. Not necessarily that, you know, we're rich and that we're going to sell everything we have, but really more along the lines of Christ saying, well, why don't you go ahead and uh, go to church an extra day a week? Or why don't you go ahead and pray just a little bit more every day? Set aside another 15 minutes to pray. Um, why don't you just do, do something extra for me? And sometimes we go away sad because we want to feel like, no, I'm already doing enough. 
I've already done enough. And I think that alone can make us depressed. The man went away sad. I wonder if he went into a depression. We don't know what happened to him afterwards. But is it enough to follow Christ? Is it enough to say, you know, I'm doing just barely enough and I want to feel good about it? Honestly, I would challenge us and say, if you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious, and you're wondering, why is there no peace in my life? Why am I being afflicted? Am I ready to let everything go and commit to Christ? It's a really, um, not a radical idea. It's an idea that we've that we've thought about all the time. We talk about it all the time. Yes, of course, I'm going to follow God. Of course, I'm going to do this. The idea is great. What's radical is actually following through with it, because what does it look like? Believe it or not, you start to follow Christ. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. We're going to probably lose some friends along the way. The quicker we get to following God and the closer that we are to following what Christ wants of us and maybe doing a little bit of extra, sometimes that means those are where the challenges come in. Sometimes that means friends who might say, hey, let's go out tonight or let's go do something. And you think, no, I promised God that I'm going to do an extra I'm going to go to Mass during the week this week, and they want to go out when i got to go to Mass. I really got to commit to going to Mass. Even if that means that, you know, I might not have this friendship anymore, but my friendship with Christ is more important. Are we really to, willing to make that kind of commitment? People don't understand that all the time. People think, oh, well, you just don't like me. No, it's not that. It's that I like Christ more. It doesn't feel good at the time to do that, but are we willing to take the risk that God is going to bless us and that we're going to get so much more joy out of following Christ. If you've been following the show, I've been talking about confession. I've been talking about really coming to terms with, you know, looking into uh, doing the examination of conscience every day, going to confession, getting things right with Christ. Why? <clears throat> because I want to use Our Lady as an example of what does that look like in our lives when we're ready to commit. Our Lady was committed to God 100% from the beginning. And we got to look at her life and realize that there was no easy way out. You know, a lot of people imagine that Our Lady was, you know, just tended to, that she was off to the side and she had a great life and didn't have any struggles. The reality is Our Lady had a lot of struggles. We're going to look at her seven sorrows today on our show, and we're going to give you some examples of some patients who have gone through struggles who realized on the other side of things that they were going to, um, following Christ was the way to go. And that that really made all the difference in their life, and that that's what brought peace uh, in their life. So one of the things to consider before we even get into that is, are we ready to make that commitment to Christ? And what does that look like? A lot of patients or a lot of when people come to me and say, am I spiritually afflicted? Am I mentally health afflicted? And sometimes I tell them, no. You know, sometimes I say, I don't know, maybe it's both. You know, you got to get to know your story a little bit more. Sometimes I tell them, no, it's neither. I think you're just not following the faith based on what you're telling me here. You're just not following the faith the way that you know you should, and you're not feeling good about it, and you're not ready to make that step. And sometimes it is as simple as, well, I don't go to Mass every Sunday, and it's okay because the priest told me that if I'm working and if I can't make it, and, you know, there's all these excuses as to why not make it. Or, gosh, I haven't gone to confession, you know, in a, in a little while, but that's okay because my sins aren't that bad. They're not as bad as other people's, you know, gosh. I'm not that bad a person. I'm sure that God will understand. We can make all the excuses we want, but at the end of the day, we're still not feeling good. If we're not getting the results that we think we need spiritually, we got to ask ourselves, is what we're doing enough? Are we truly doing the right thing? Well, let's talk a little bit more about that after the break.
All right, folks, so welcome back to Virgin Mouth Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today, we're asking ourselves, am I ready to have better mental health, better spiritual health, by truly committing to God? Not an easy question to ask ourselves. You know, we go through life and we think, no, I'm doing, I'm doing good enough. And I think for the most part, we are. I think we strive in our hearts to be holy. We strive in our hearts to do the prayers we need to do. We strive in our hearts to truly try to understand what our lives really mean here uh, on this planet as we're trying to get closer to heaven. But we're also trying to do it in the least painful way, which I'm trying to do too. I mean, I don't blame anybody who's trying to say, I don't want to go through a whole lot of suffering. I want to be at peace. One of the biggest challenges though is realizing that while we are on this earth, we're not going to be at peace. There's not going to be um, the peace that we're hoping for or that we are imagining, because I think that we are truly imagining our souls are truly um, desiring. I think our guardian angels are pointing us towards the peace that we're going to reach in heaven. And I think that that's the kind of peace we're all trying to get to. We're trying to say, hey, I want to be at peace where not too many things are going to bother me much, where I'm going to be feeling um, like I'm in a, in a good place. I'm going to have happiness and joy, but I want that now. The problem is that that's just not going to happen here on our planet. It's not going to happen while we're on earth. It's not going to happen until we get to heaven. And in the meantime, unfortunately, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. What can we do in the midst of that pain? Well, sometimes it's good to hear, um, not that we're happy that other people suffer, but it's good to hear that we're not alone. It's good to hear that other people are experiencing the same thing we are where we're in pain. I think that that's where the source of compassion comes from. That's where the source of saying, you know what, they're suffering too. Sometimes we realize, we might even recognize my suffering is not quite as bad as theirs. Maybe I need to reevaluate things. Things could be worse for me. We usually imagine that things are worse already. Why? Because we're experiencing, not because we're selfish, not because we think that we're so great, but it's our pain. And when it's happening to us, it's going to be more painful than when it's happening to someone else, if we don't have that perspective of looking outside of ourselves. Now, when it comes to depression and anxiety, that's what happens. We need to really make a distinction here. This is important. If we're experiencing a clinical depression or a clinical anxiety, then yes, our pain is going to be very, very powerful. Our pain is going to be so bad that it is going to be worse than other people's because we're going to be living in our own little space of hell, unfortunately, um, a place of no hope, a place where we feel frustrated. You know, I had a patient like that one time who <clears throat> just could not see beyond themselves and they were in a very, very difficult position. They came to me for therapy. Things weren't going at work, nothing major. Um, things weren't uh, in, in terms of, you know, they had a boss who was a little bit difficult who wanted them to get their work done, but they admitted that, yes, they were behind on their work as well. They were going to work, but they weren't very happy. Um, and they felt that, you know, even in their personal life, their spouse wasn't really paying attention to them. Um, their kids, they were just being bothersome. Nothing was good. Everything was negative. And that was one of the patients who asked me, you know, is this, am I being spiritually afflicted because everything's so dark and negative? And as we were talking, I told them, you know, I think the reality is you're going through a depression. You're going through a clinical depression. Why? Because you're feeling depressed every day. No, you're not thinking about ending your life. So it wasn't about suicide. Um, it wasn't about anything that drastic. Um, but <clears throat> what I do notice is you um, are always depressed. You feel hopeless. Uh, you don't have a lot of energy. It's hard for you to get out of bed. 
you don't see anything positive. Everything's always negative for you. Um, and there's really no reason for it. Spiritually speaking, you're doing okay, but I think you're going through a clinical depression. They didn't want to see that. They couldn't accept that. They couldn't uh, admit that to themselves because then that meant for my end of things, I thought, well, you're at the point where you're actually going to need medication. They didn't want medication, that's for sure, because medication to them meant something bad. And I get it. There's a whole lot of stigma surrounding the idea of taking medication for mental health. You know, we don't tell our friends about it. We don't tell, um, you know, other people about it if you are taking any kind of medication because the world's not ready to accept that. They don't understand sometimes, gosh, you need medication, you're taking medication. What does that mean? Are you going to have a nervous breakdown here? Are you going to go through a period where you're uh, depressed and sad and angry? Uh, and I can't even predict that. And the sad part is that that is the case sometimes, you know, family members will be so happy after their loved one takes medication because they tell me, oh my gosh, they're a different person now. Now the person's not happy taking them. We're not happy taking medication because it doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good. And the idea that I need to take a medication, um, it's not great because then it feels like, you know, especially in many cultures, I should be stronger. I should be able to do this on my own. Um, and we have this idea that we should have some sort of inner strength uh, or that it's a sign of weakness that we don't take medication. I think that translates into the spiritual world as well. Now, before we get into the spiritual world, this patient eventually took some medication. I told them, don't tell anybody, go ahead and just take the medication. And they took it. They tried it for a couple months. It started to work. They felt better. They felt really, really, really good. And they said, gosh, I think you were right. I think I was going through a clinical depression. And I said, yeah, you kind of are. So you notice a big difference there. You took your medication and, and it started to help. It started to feel good. Okay. In the spiritual life, how does this happen to us? Well, we might get advice. We might get the advice of, gosh, maybe you should fast an extra day of the week, or maybe you should just fast for a few hours. Maybe you really want to have that cookie right now, but you say, I'm going to wait for three hours. You know, whatever it is, whatever your level of understanding of fasting or sacrifice is, maybe you should do a little bit more of that. We'll start doing that. We do start doing that in the spiritual world. We start to say, I'm going to mortify. I'm going to do a little mortification, mortification of the senses, mortification uh, in general, mortification of the body. I'm going to try to sacrifice. And do we start to feel better? We do. We start to feel spiritually better for a while. And that feels great. The question is, can we keep it up? One, are we realistic with what we're doing? You know, if I say, oh, I'm going to make it to mass every single day for sure. Well, I'm married with four kids. I cannot necessarily make it to mass every single day. It might not be possible. Sundays, the whole family goes to mass, of course. We can try to make an effort, maybe Saturdays for the whole whole family to go to mass. But am I going to be able to make it to church every single day with a full-time job, four kids, a wife? Maybe not. Maybe not. Can we try to make the effort? Absolutely. But would it be realistic or would I be setting myself up to fail if I tell myself I have to do this or I'm not going to be holy? Eh, we got to be realistic too. So when we set up our spiritual goals, we got to be realistic. This person who I was training for with mental health in many ways, you know, we start to do these spiritual things. We start to take our medicine. That's great. We start to feel better. The person I was treating, they were taking their medication. They were starting to feel better. And that's great too. They were starting to feel better, but to the point where all of a sudden they started to feel like, I am doing so much better. I don't need this medication anymore. So I'm going to stop it because now I'm going to do it on my own. Unfortunately, for some medications that we prescribe when it comes to mental health, we, it's not a matter of curative. So in other words, you might have to take the medication and you might not, st might not stop it. You might have a chronic depression. You might have a chronic anxiety. That's hard for people to hear. 
they say, well, wait a minute, you're trying to tell me that I have to take this the rest of my life? And I tell them, yeah, but you know, there's no side effects. I always tell them, think of it as a vitamin at this point in your life. You know, you can just take it. There's no side effects to it. And you feel pretty good. And you don't have to tell anybody about it. If I told you that you were low in vitamin C, I don't think anybody would think twice about it. You know, okay, I got to take my vitamin C every day. I might forget here and there, but I'm going to take it because I want to feel better. And we probably wouldn't think twice about telling other people about it because there's no stigma to vitamin C. If I tell people, oh, the doctor said I need a vitamin C, people will be like, oh, you're absolutely. In fact, here, let me give you a bottle of that. Let me help you out with that. The bigger challenge with mental health issues is obviously there's a stigma to it. One of the questions I would ask, though, is, is there a stigma to spiritual health issues? Because let's say that we start doing the sacrifices. Let's say that we start doing going a little bit of that extra mile. We start to feel spiritually better. One, do we keep it up? Or do we decide, you know, I think I did pretty good there. I think I've, I'm feeling a lot better. Oh, good. Now I don't have to do this anymore. Do we get lax in it? Or do we, do we fail to realize that even in our spiritual life, unfortunately, we're chronically going to be in the state of wanting to sin or failing or not keeping up with what we need to do spiritually. Why? Because the world doesn't let us. You know, we start with great intentions, but the world doesn't let us. It, 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 there's too many distractions. If we don't make that extra effort, if I don't say, you know what, I'm going to put everything down and I'm going to go ahead and just focus on getting closer to Christ and making Christ truly the number one in my life, then I'm not going to, uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to keep that up. I really got to make a conscious effort of that every day. We start to feel better and that's great. Now, the converse is true and this is where Sometimes we do feel spiritually depressed if we're not doing the basics of what we need to do. But here's a bigger challenge. And here's something people don't sometimes even understand might happen, is that as we start to follow the uh, path of getting closer to God one step at a time, sometimes things get worse before they get better. Because then there's a the flip side of things. You know, Dr. Sandoval, you said that if I were to start to follow Christ more closely, I would start to feel better. But as I'm doing this, there, there's a darkness in my life. All of a sudden, there's a, you know, my boss is getting angrier or my kids are getting even more challenging. Is that possible? Can that happen? Sometimes that can happen. And that's where I would say, if you start to notice that you are getting more afflicted as you're getting closer to following God and as you're following him in a more serious way, you might want to get a spiritual director because why? We really can't do it on our own. A lot of times we feel like we can or like we should. You know, gosh, I should be able to do this on my own. I should be able to um, have this internal power. Just like with mental health, a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, that means I'm weak mentally if I need to take medication. Well, in the spiritual world, sometimes we think, oh, that means I'm weak spiritually. I should be spiritually strong on my own. And neither is true in the mental health world. That's why we have medication. In the spiritual world, that's why we have Christ. Christ himself is telling us we can't do it on our own. And that can be really, really challenging. We need to have a spiritual director. Sometimes we need to have somebody who's going to guide us because believe it or not, as we start to improve our life, yeah, sometimes all of a sudden the temptations are going to come stronger. It could just be a test. It doesn't have to be a demon. It could just be a test. It could be God telling you, I want you to get, get you stronger. And people say, well, why do I have more temptations to lust? Or why do I have more temptations to steal things? Or why do I have, you know, from work or from friends, why do I have more temptations to anger and to pride? Because now it's that challenge. Now God's telling you, hey, guess what? This is the part that I want you to work on in your life. 
but are you ready to commit to me? Well, if we ever feel like it's getting too hard or too strong or it's too challenging, I would dare say, let's look at Our Lady of Sorrows and let's look at what Our Lady did because I think a lot of people imagine, you know, that Our Lady and St. Joseph, we don't know a whole lot of them in the Bible, if you will. We don't know, um, you know, there's details here and there, but we don't hear extended dialogues with them. We don't hear what they were thinking or what they were going through. But, you know, in the month of September, looking at Our Lady of Sorrows, her feast day was the 15th of September. But let's look at what Our Lady went through. We're not alone in this. And how can we compare this to our own life? There's seven sorrows that we pray. It's a beautiful, beautiful um, devotion to have. And I pray this with our with our family every day. When we pray our family rosary at the end, we do our, um, our devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. We do our novenas. Um, and it's always a good reminder that the holiest of holiest of persons who ever lived, Our Lady, you know, second to Christ, went through sorrows herself. She didn't have a perfect life. She didn't have a life where we can say, oh my goodness, you know, as soon as she said yes to God, everything was perfect. Everything was great. And yet Our Lady committed to God 100%. There's no question about that. So when we come back from the break, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the seven sorrows. What were they? What did Our Lady go through? And how does that compare to our spiritual life? and our mental health when we are ready. 100%. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today on the Dr. Sandoval Show, we are talking about, are we ready to commit to God 100%? It's not easy. Let me tell you why, because once we get started, sometimes we start to think that, one, it everything should start getting easier and we're going to be at peace 100% in our lives. And two, we're going to start it and it's going to end and we're going to be cured and then we're not going to need to do it anymore. <clears throat> so all of a sudden I might not need to fast as much or I might not need to go to mass as much or I might not need to, um, you know, sacrifice quite as much at a certain point in my life because, hey, I got my fill. We think of it as medication that, you know, we got a cure for my infection, like an antibiotic and I took it for a couple of weeks and wow, now I'm good. So I'm going to fast for a couple of weeks and, oh, now I'm good. Well, the reality, folks, is that spiritually speaking, we are in a, in a perennial battle, which means that chronically we're going to be spiritually afflicted if we are not sacrificing every day, if we're not thinking about our spiritual medicine on a regular basis, daily, weekly, whatever it is, we can never let up. That's the main issue here. The main thing, though, is as we start our spiritual journey, we have to realize and recognize from the start that it's not going to be easy always, that we're not always going to be, you know, in this elevated, peaceful mood in our hearts and in our minds. That's going to be a bit of a challenge for us. Um, why? Because, yeah, we're all hoping to just kind of have it one and done. You know, can we just do this? And, and it ends. Happens all the time in the world of deliverance. You know, people come to uh, a priest or they come in when I evaluate uh, people to see if they're having uh, spiritual affliction or or they're being afflicted um, by mental health it happens all the time where people come and they say can you just you know can the priest just do one prayer and that's it and get it out and i'm done Whew, now i'm cured you know what people don't realize is that it's not the priest who's really doing a whole lot other than saying prayers it's really up to the faith of the energumen or the person who's being afflicted spiritually uh, to really cast out any demons or to cast out and he spells to make that decision to be with Christ. I think, uh, you know, we're so used to the Hollywood version of things uh, where in these movies, 
that people will watch sometimes. There's this ultimate battle. The priest fights the demonic after all these manifestations take place. And all of a sudden the person's cured and they feel so happy and they're back with Christ. Well, it's very Hollywood, you know. And that's not to say that after an exorcism, the person doesn't feel a lot better. You know, that, you know, if it if a person's truly, truly afflicted or possessed, of course they're going to feel better. They're going to feel much relief. But then that's what now I say is, okay, you have that, you've been delivered, great. Now is where the battle really starts. Because now the question is, are you going to be able to stay in that state of grace? Are you going to be able to continue to do uh, uh, spiritual works and, and continue to see that you need to still go to Mass and still sacrifice? Or you're going to be afflicted again. It's not like it's a one and done thing. You can be afflicted again. And we see that in the Gospel. Christ himself shares a story of the person who was delivered who did not fill their home with Christ, and the demon came back with seven stronger demons. Why? Because the person probably figured, oh, I'm cured. Life is good. Now I don't have to do anything about it. Now I don't have to work at being spiritually safe. And I think we can fall into those, uh, we, we have those pitfalls, whether it be with mental illness, we can compare this very easily. You know, oh, I took the medication, I feel better. Now I'm safe from mental illness. I can stop my medication. Not necessarily. You know, you stop your medication, that mental illness can come back. We stop our prayers, our fasting, our spiritual ailments can come back. <clears throat> it's no different than, say, uh, somebody who has diabetes. And they decide, oh, my sugar levels are great. Now I don't have to take my, diabe my, my diabetes medication. No, it's a chronic condition. If you don't take the medication, you're not dieting or exercising right. Everything's going to go out of whack. You're not going to have that, that physical health that you're looking for. Um, in the same way, it's true in the in the mental health world. If I don't take care of my mental health, if I don't, you know, put myself uh, in a position where I am, you know, getting out and not always stressed and actually doing the things I need to be doing uh, in my life, I'm going to fall into depressions or anxieties. If I'm always late for things, if I'm procrastinating, I'm going to fall into that depression and anxiety. In the spiritual world, if I'm not fasting, if I'm not praying, if I'm not doing the basics that I need to do of getting to confession, going to mass. I'm going to go into a spiritual depression. There's no question about it. And it might not have anything to do with any uh, spiritual affliction from the demonic. It could just be that I'm not doing the things that I know I should be doing. It's like saying, oh, okay, I'm just going to sit on the couch all day and not move. Well, you're probably not going to feel too physically good. Oh, is it because you have cuts or somebody's attacking you physically? No, it's just because I'm physically stagnant. And I think sometimes we can be mentally stagnant, we can be physically stagnant, or we can be spiritually stagnant where we might not be afflicted, but we're not doing the things that we know we should be doing. We're not fulfilling the mission that God gave us to do. Um, and that alone can make us feel sick. It can make us feel uh, you know, sluggish. It can make us feel um, spiritually depressed more than anything else. But know this, if we're going to start the path to spiritual happiness, there's no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. We're going to have to take on a cross. If we look at Our Lady and we look at her sufferings and we look at her seven sorrows, what happened in the life of Our Lady? Well, the first sorrow of Our Lady is the prophecy of St. Simeon. So they go and they present the child Jesus to the temple as they're supposed to, you know, as the Jewish tradition holds. So he goes for his presentation, and St. Simeon tells Our Lady exactly how she and Christ will suffer in their life. And how he says, this is it, this is the child, right? We got to remember that St. Simeon knew he was a saintly man. And he says to God, I can now die in peace because I have seen the salvation of Israel, right? So he knew this was Christ. He knew who he was. That was given to him through his guardian angel, through Christ, through God. Whatever it was, he had this knowledge. 
And he could see the suffering that he was going to go through. And he told Our Lady of this. And this is the first sword that pierces her heart. Um, because he tells her, swords are going to pierce your heart. He says, this is going to be for suffering. This is not going to be a good time. Imagine that you decide, okay, I'm going to commit myself to God. I'm going to say yes to God right now. And in hopes that I'm going to be, um, because gosh, I feel like my life is falling apart. What's the difference? So now you're telling me I'm going to commit to God and it's going to be all sorrowful. Well, why should I even do that? Here's the biggest difference. We can't get away from sorrow and sacrifice in this world because this is not the perfect world. We're not in heaven yet. We're not going to get away from physical illness in this world. When we're in heaven, there will be no more physical illness. We're not going to get away from mental illness in this world. When we're in heaven, there will be no more mental illness. And we're not going to get away from spiritual affliction in this world. That's for heaven as well. But regardless of the path we take, there's going to be suffering in this world. What's the difference between saying, well, if I'm going to suffer anyway, why follow the path of Christ? Why not just do my own thing? Why not just you know take on the pleasures of the world because at least I'll feel good? Here's what I can guarantee you. If we don't follow the path that Our Lady followed, what we won't have is peace. There's not going to be an internal spiritual peace. It's just not going to happen. Why? Because peace comes from God. You might have, um, let's say, pleasure. You might take pleasure out of the things of this world, whether you want to take pleasure in money or drugs or sex or rock and roll or whatever it is. You might take pleasure in that. But are you going to have joy and peace? No. What's the difference though? If I follow Christ, will I still have affliction? Will I still have moments of suffering? Absolutely. The difference is that I can be suffering or I can go through a lot of different things and still have peace in my heart. Why? Because I know I'm following God's will. And then if I'm following God's will, I have something called hope. Our Lady never lost hope. Even when St. Simeon told her of her sorrows, and that's the first one, Our Lady never lost hope. She always had this the uh, vision of following God and the humility of not worrying about what her, uh, how she was going to be afflicted, but realizing that God's will was more important and following her mission to God was more important. That's what really made Our Lady's heart um, continue with God and have hope and joy. It's possible to do that while there is suffering in the world. What's the second uh, sorrow Our Lady had to go through? Well, already St. Simeon told her exactly how Christ was going to suffer. She knew of his crucifixion. She knew that he was going to suffer for humanity. She didn't, might not have known when, but she knew that he was going to suffer. Imagine somebody tells you, okay, this is what's going to happen uh, to your son. He's going he's gonna to die this brutal death for humanity. Do you trust enough in God that you're going to allow that to happen? Boy, I'll tell you, having kids, it's going to be hard to do that. It's going to be hard to say, I have to give up my kid and they're going to die. How? I don't know that. I, I don't know right now. I don't know that I would be strong enough to do that. I would, I would have to pray a whole lot. I would have to ask the Holy Spirit to please inspire me. I would have to ask my guardian angel to guide me because even people wouldn't understand how could you give up your kid like that? If I say it's God's will, boy, they'd probably say it's neglect. Well, what's going to happen here is the second sorrow of Our Lady. All of a sudden, the child is born. I'm sure she's happy. She's got to love him. She knows who he is. She knows how he came into this world. She knows that it was literally a gift from God because she did not know man. She knows that the angel Gabriel told her that she was going to conceive this child. And all of a sudden, how old is Christ? Maybe a year old, two years old. And all of a sudden, he's going to be uh, persecuted by King Herod. The persecution starts right away. There was never a time, I think, that Our Lady was ever truly uh, at worldly peace, if you will, looking after Christ. Because what happens? All of a sudden, there's a flight into Egypt. King Herod is killing off all the kids. And what's Our Lady's got to do? Well, she's got to wake up because St. Joseph tells her, I had a dream and we have to move. We have to get to Egypt because we need to protect this child. 
There's nowhere in the Bible or the gospel to say that our lady complained or that she said, no, hang on a second. I need to find the right pair of shoes or and who knows what happened as they were planning to go. I'm sure that they prepared. They had to do something, but they knew they had to move. That's a big move. Imagine all of a sudden somebody tells you, your spouse tells you, hey, we have to get to a different country because I had a dream and we got to protect our child. Well, I think at that point, you really have to have 100% trust in your spouse. You have to have 100% trust in God. And Our Lady knew that Christ was going to be persecuted, that he was going to be a source of division in this world, that people were going to want to kill him. But imagine having to get up and move to a whole different country. In fact, a different country where you were known to have a history of being a slave. And I remember this is Egypt that they're going to. This is where the Israelites were enslaved by Pharaoh. It's not an easy thing. Imagine they're telling you, hey, you got to, we got to get out of here to keep them safe. And we're going somewhere where maybe Israelites aren't looked on as the best people. Well, I really got to trust this one, you know, because I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know what's, what's going to come of that. But Our Lady trusted God 100%. So first we have St. Simeon telling her the prophecies. Then we have the flight into Egypt. Got to change my whole life around. Got to, you know, St. Joseph had to find a job as a carpenter out there or something to survive, right? And that's already hard enough. But do I have enough faith in God that it seems like everything's turning around, you know, falling apart around me, but I'm going to be able to to survive and and have a better life? Because I trust in God at some point, there's going to be joy in my heart, and I'm going to be happy knowing that I'm fulfilling God's will. That's going to be tough to do, really, really hard to do. Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to look at the rest of Our Lady's sorrows and see how does this compare to our modern world? What's going on in our Catholic world today that might be piercing our own hearts, that might be making it so that we feel like, I don't know that I can keep going. How do we look at the news? How do we look at the different things that our bishops and our popes tell telling us? And how do we make peace of that in our hearts? as a modern-day Catholic so that we can continue to follow our mission from God. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Breaking Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Let me tell you, you know, this world is not an easy one. And if we think that we're going to be free from suffering, well, we're not in heaven yet, where there's always going to be suffering. The main question is, as Catholics as being part of the community of the saints, how do we handle that suffering? How do I handle that suffering so that if I am feeling a depression or an anxiety, I can humbly listen to my physician and say, okay, I'll take the medication that you're recommending. And I'll take it the way that you are recommending that I take it. How do I feel if all of a sudden my doctor tells me that I have a physical ailment that I need to take medication for? Do I listen to them and humbly say, okay, I'll take that medication as well. I'll take care of myself physically. What if we're told listen, there's going to be medication for you spiritually because spiritually you're not doing well, but it's not going to feel good. It's going to kind of, kind of be like chemotherapy. You know, you hear about people going through chemotherapy and what happens? You're going to get nauseated. You're going to feel sick. You're going to um, not be able to get out of bed. You're going to feel weak when you do chemotherapy, but it's going to get rid of the cancer. Well, what if spiritually people said, you know, your priest tells you, gosh, you got to do these sacrifices or this is what you got to do. It's not going to feel good while you're doing the sacrifices, but it's going to get rid of that cancer of sin or whatever spiritual cancer you have going on. Am I willing to suffer through that? That's the question of the day. Well, we're talking about Our Lady and we're talking about her seven sorrows. And what does that have to do with our modern world? We're on the third sorrow of Our Lady here. Let's look at the sorrows of Our Lady and I'll share with you a little bit about the sacrifices that I see in our modern world swords that have pierced, a big sword that has pierced my heart, but I feel that is is really, I see a lot of good is going to come out of it. Um, but let's look at this. So the third star of Our Lady, the loss of Jesus for three days, 
imagine now you're entrusted with a child who is going to save the world, who is our only ticket to heaven, really. That's that's what it comes down to. He's the only way to get to heaven. And all of a sudden, you can't find him for three days. That's a problem. You know, they're suffering, the, uh, celebrating the Passover. They're in Jerusalem, and, you know, you're with a big caravan of people with a family, and you're not exactly sure where Christ is, your son, the one who's been entrusted to you. Well, luckily, and lo and behold, they find him in the temple. Hopefully, we're finding Christ in the temple. But it can be a, a bit of a challenge. And I think for us, uh, just in our everyday lives, how many times do we feel like Christ is on our life? We've lost the sense of Christ or, or we can't find him. We can't see him. Does that ever happen to us? Does that ever happen often to us where we don't know where Christ is? But then spiritually speaking, do we make the effort to get to the temple? Do we make the effort to get to church? Do we make the effort to realize, well, Christ is in the tabernacle always. I might not feel him in my heart, in my life. I might not have that sense of hope, but I got to remember he's in the tabernacle. I got to go find him. The fourth sorrow of Our Lady is, <clears throat> the fourth sorrow of Our Lady is when she met Jesus on the way to the cross. The sacrifice is now happening. It's right in the midst of the sacrifice. Jesus is on his way to, the, on his way to Calvary, on his way to be nailed to a cross, and she sees him as he's walking. I cannot even imagine what kind of a conversation they had. Perhaps Christ told her and reminded her that this was for the better of the world. Perhaps, you know, she reminded him that this was for the better. I don't know what kind of conversation they had, but I can only imagine that they leaned on each other in a way that that no other relationship that has ever existed could possibly have leaned on each other. I think that um, that was both a horrific and beautiful moment where she sees Christ fully bloodied carrying his cross on the way to Calvary, knowing that he's got to do the, the mission that the Father has sent him for, and she's there to support him. Well, I always say, I think there's no coincidence that after the fourth station of the cross is the same as the fourth sorrow of Our Lady, but the fifth and the sixth stations of the cross, there was a little bit of a reprieve for Christ. Also, he had St. Simeon help him carry the cross, and then he had Veronica wiping his face. I don't know. I, in, in my estimation, I think Our Lady had something to do with that for sure because I don't know that the Romans would have allowed any kind of reprieve for anybody else. But that was right after, you know, they met on the way to the cross. That, what do you do when you see your child suffering that way? Are you going to tell your child, you got to keep going? This is your mission. I would hope so. I would hope that I have that kind of uh, fortitude and that kind of faith in God. But that's definitely supernatural. That's something that Our Lady can aspire to, and hopefully that, or Our Lady can accomplish, and hopefully we can aspire to. The fifth station of the cross is now seeing Jesus crucified on the cross. What could that do to a parent to see your child die that way? To see your child nailed to a cross naked, nothing else to give, all the blood draining from their body, and you have to stand there at the foot of the cross. Everybody else is gone. The friends are all gone. It's just you and Christ and one apostle. Who else? Who, who else could do that? I don't know. That's That's a big piercing of our hearts. Let's look at the sixth sorrow. Jesus taken down from the cross. At this point, you're asking yourself, what's left? What's next? Is this it? Is there more suffering to come? We put it in God's hands. The the dead body before you, that's just, that's got to be, you know, that's got to be the most horrific reminder of the life of the you had with this person, of how alive this person was. It's a, it's a reminder of um, really that there's a beyond that we don't know of. Christ cried when Lazarus died. I can only imagine Our Lady crying at the loss of her son. And then the last sorrow of Our Lady, the seventh sword that pierced Our Lady. 
Jesus laid in the tomb. All of a sudden, how does one feel as that tomb is closed up? It's the end. It's the final. It's like when we see a coffin being put into the ground, burying the dead. Spirit. It's a physical work of mercy, a, a corporal work of mercy, as we call it. And we're putting Jesus in the tomb. Remember, nobody else was around to do that. It was uh, um, Joseph, Arimathea, who came over and helped put him in the tomb. And Our Lady was there to prepare the body. All the friends were gone. They were all hiding. Now you're alone in this place. How many times do we feel spiritually alone? Especially if we're going to be fasting, especially if we're going to be doing, uh, improving our spiritual life. Sometimes it's kind of like Christ tells us in the Bible, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and vice versa. Sometimes when we're going to go on our spiritual journey, it's just an interior loneliness because nobody else is in there with us. And we realize it's really just up to me. It's really up to me to decide if I want to sacrifice for Christ or not. It's not going to be somebody else. Somebody else might encourage me, but it's me who has to do it. I'm the one who has to go through this. Nobody. It's a, it's a lonely journey. And that's why I think where Our Lady was with her seven sorrows. It was a lonely journey where it was up to her to sacrifice her son and nobody else. But she said yes to God, and she probably said yes to God knowing full well, this is not going to be easy. Or even not knowing and saying, Lord, whatever you send my way, that's what I'll take. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll follow you 100%. That's really what it comes down to. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. Sometimes it can feel like there's swords that are headed our way in this world um where we feel like our catholic faith our catholic church is imploding and i say imploding meaning that it's falling apart on the inside and one of the biggest sores appears my pierces my heart is looking at one of my favorite people in this world bishop joseph strickland and what he's been going through and i was reading an article it came out not too long ago i think it came out yesterday i just came out yesterday uh, this is on the catholic review and the title of the article is Bishop Strickland will not resign, but says he will respect Pope Francis's authority if removed. You know, when we look at our bishops, how many of us can truly say that our bishops are a Christ figure, that our priests are a Christ figure, that our priests are willing to suffer martyrdom, that they're willing to die um, spiritually? This is what I love about Joseph, uh, Bishop Strickland. You know, I've met him a couple of times. I think he's a He's really, you know, as, as Jesse Romero says, anybody who listens to his show, he's America's America's bishop. Um, he's the bishop of Tyler, Texas, truly where I feel like that's, you know, my diocese at heart, if you will. Um, and with all due respect to my bishop here, um, no problem there. But when you look at somebody who's willing to die for the faith, for Bishop Strickland to be persecuted for really... We wonder why. Why would he be asked to resign? You got to ask yourself, why would he be asked to resign? We're allowed to have difference of opinion with the Pope when it comes to certain matters. We're not allowed to have difference of opinion with the magisterium of the church. But if the Pope says something that doesn't go with the magisterium or is not in line 100% with the catechism of the church or needs to be needs to have some clarification, I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to look at what did Jesus say? Because at the end of the day, I don't follow the Pope. I follow Jesus. You know, the Pope is supposed to be the representation of Jesus on earth. And yes, he is my leader. Yes, he is the Pope. Yes, he is sitting in the chair of Peter in the Vatican. 100% accept that, 100% know that. But if I want some clarification on something, I would hope that the Pope would clarify it. In this case, I would say, well, why is Bishop Strickland even being considered for resignation? What did he do that was so awful? Let me read a little bit about this article. Um, 
But what I do love about Bishop Strickland before we get into the article is the fact that he says, you know, I'm not going to resign because I've been given this authority as bishop and I have to fulfill it because now I have to answer to Christ. That's really what it comes down to. In our spiritual life, I think that if we look at that, you know, if we're feeling that's the ultimate commitment to Christ right there. I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but I need to fulfill the mission that Christ gave me. And I think that's what Bishop Strickland's doing. You know, if we look at what he's said or what he's done so far, that's public knowledge. We look at the Bishop Strickland Hour with Terry Barber. All I know is that Bishop Strickland is, in fact, telling us the truth of the faith from the catechism, catechism of the church that we're supposed to follow. He's not giving me his own opinion. He's telling me about what the deposit of the faith and what Christ left for the apostles. He's telling us that, you know, he uh, um, wants to follow the faith as Christ left it. He's telling us that we need to worship God in the Eucharist, that we need to go and do our holy hours. How is that bad? How is that something that we shouldn't follow? You know, it tears up my heart a little bit. It makes me feel like, what what is it that's going on in our faith now? What's what is it that's going on in our church? What example are we giving um the Catholic faith or the Catholic faithful, I should say? Really, that we shouldn't follow the faith, that we shouldn't follow what Christ told us was right and wrong. Um, we gotta ask ourselves, is that the way that we want to go? This is what Bishop Strickland says in this article. He says, Let me be clear that I have received no communication from Rome regarding this. Um, Bishop Strickland wrote saying that there is right now, all it is is just an article discussing supposed leaked information from the Vatican. So there's no official uh, word that he is being asked to resign just yet, according to this article. And it says, some have speculated that the apostolic visitation, remember he was had an apostolic visitation uh, that is tied to Bishop Strickland's criticism of Pope Francis and other church prelates, especially uh, on Twitter, where he has more than 147,000 followers. Because the bishop said, I believe Pope Francis is the Pope, but it is still time for me to say that I reject his program of undermining the deposit of the faith. Follow Jesus is what the bishop said. Well, I don't see what's wrong with that, but that's a big sword, I think, that's piercing our hearts, piercing my heart. Um, and it's one of these things where I say, I think I need to do extra fasting. I think I need to do extra prayers for Bishop Strickland. The fact that he says... I will not resign, but I will respect Pope Francis' authority if removed. I think that's a reminder to us as Catholics as well that we have to realize the Pope is the Pope. Um, we accept him as the Pope. He has the Catholic authority. I will continue to follow my Catholic faith, but I also know that I need to follow Jesus. And just like Bishop Strickland said, follow Jesus, follow the deposit of the faith. If I'm in doubt, if I'm not sure which direction to move in, I think I'll have to say, hey, I'm going to watch that Bishop Strickland hour with Harry Barber just to see what the truth is, what I need to follow, and how I can be a better Catholic. And until next week, I would say, keep it Catholic.